Everybody and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me as always, Zach Schneider and Liz Tory. Today we're going to be finishing out the Harry Potter film franchise with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Spoilers ahead for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two and for the entire franchise, all eight films. Uh, we'll get to the Fantastic Beasts at some point too, but. For now, this will be the the end of the the initial franchise. So, uh, how's everybody doing, Liz? What have you been up to this past week? Oh, this past week, I have just been sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's this is the way. This is the way. Zach, have you reached a truce with that uh, MacBook yet, or are you still at a bitter war? <laughs> I have reached a somewhat tenuous truce with the MacBook. Uh, I have found. <laughs> Uh, some some measure of peace with it. I still do not think it's ever going to be my first choice for just general computing, but when I'm on the go, it works great. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm on good terms with it now. Um, yeah. It's just never going to be the main squeeze if you catch my drift. But yeah, so last week was um, good. Hung out with uh, my brother and my mother. You know, a bit of a medical scare with her. Hopefully. That everything's, you know, starting to, you know, get better with that. But, you know, hard to say right now. But Ben's currently looking after her. He's, uh, she's well in his uh, capable hands. Um, and I've just been spending some time resting. I know for a fact that my cat is really glad not to be stuck in a ty- very, very tiny apartment. Ben! <laughs> hey, Ben. <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> Give a shout out to Ben, Zach's brother, if he's listening to this podcast. Ben! I like that you literally shouted, Ben! Ben! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, things have been good for me, too. Been uh, just chilling, doing stuff with the band. Uh, I had a nice little cookout this past weekend as well. Uh, yeah, just just overall overall having having a pretty good summer. It's been it's definitely been too hot, but it's it's still been a pretty good, pretty fun summer so far. So definitely super excited to get into Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part Two. We're finally finishing out this franchise. It's only again been like a year since I think we started. Stone. Uh, but this is one that I've been really looking forward to getting into since we first started this podcast. Uh, I, I definitely have a soft spot for this movie, but we'll start by kind of going to the beginning of the movie. So full spoilers do start start here for harry potter and the deathly house part two so again if you haven't seen this by now i don't know what to tell you but <laughs> there's a couple of scenes at the beginning with grip hook and olivander which are, are definitely exposition scenes and like i i don't have the only reason i bring them up is because i've always appreciated these scenes for giving something to do for both warwick davis and john hurt both mm-hmm. actors I'm a big fan of, and they are both great in each of these scenes. Uh, Warwick Davis, of course, plays both Grip Hook and Professor Flitwick in, in this movie franchise and does a great job distinguishing both characters and not feeling like the same actor uh, as he plays both characters. And then, uh, yeah, John Hurt, yeah, they cast him in that, that kind of extended cameo in Sorcerer's Stone and then brought him back for these last two movies and has a you know great, great scene uh, with Harry, you know, identifying the wands and admitting the fact that, you know, he was tortured and all that um i just i'm just a sucker for good acting that's why I, that's why he shout out these sequences no I, I strongly agree um it's it's really great to see them you know actually able to flex on extended scenes especially 
um, Warwick Davis. I love his, uh, I love Grip Hook's interaction with Harry in the cottage. Um, it's such a layered, nuanced performance. Um, yeah, I, I, I just love that performance. It's, uh, there's so much that's going on behind his eyes, even though his eyes are, again, l- along with the rest of him, covered in fairly extensive prosthetics at the time, but. So yeah, no, I think it's just a really good, uh, good gripping scene. It's a tiny little breath of, you know, moment to catch the breath from the last movie before we jump right into the pretty much almost nonstop action for the rest of this film. People complain about part one for being kind of a slow burn, and I actually like the fact that it's a slow burn. I think that suits that movie, but this movie is nonstop. Part one is a horror film, and it's that slow uh, horror that intense thriller feel throughout the whole movie uh, with little pops of horror. Part two is a war film and an adventure film. It feels almost like the energy of uh, what's the movie uh, with Perseus and... Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Mm -hmm. It feels like Clash of the Titans in a lot of ways. Um, The original or the remake? You know... I like both for different reasons. The original is really slow-paced. That's a nice way of saying boring. Uh, (laughs) I have a hot take. The remake is way fucking better. (laughs) The original is so boring. I I honestly (laughs) agree that the remake is better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it keeps me entertained, and it just feels better. Uh, But the original, if I want to take a nap, I put it on. Exactly. <laughs> wow, I'm surprised. I'm surprised we agree on this one, Wiz. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I I love the original. I do love the original. The imagination, the craftsmanship in the original. I appreciate that. But the new one, oh my god! I love the digital age and everything about it because we can bring words from a script to life, and that's what they did with Harry Potter. Uh, this part too. They brought impossible words to life in a film, and they couldn't have done it without the digital age. But it does feel like a modern-day Clash of the Titans for me. Yo, it also is a modern-day Clash of the Titans, the remake of Clash of the Titans. Clash of uh, the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then, of course, uh, after after the, the, that kind of opening, the, those exposition scenes, uh, we get into the, the, the our big first action set piece in this movie is the Green Gods heist sequence really fun sequence again we kind of talked about how dark and how grim the first part of this is and there's definitely a lot of that in this movie too but the green god sequence is just fun man like i just i just enjoy this sequence from top to bottom you know getting hermione is is uh posing as bellatrix lestrange which helena bottom carter's performance as hermione granger Mm-hmm. This is like of all of all like the actors like uh, in Polyjuice Potion that we see in this movie. I think this is like the most spot fucking odd. She is really completely. Is. Yeah. She is completely Emma Watson. Like <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the conversation between the guy that greeted Bellatrix on his way out. He greeted Bellatrix, and Bellatrix said something like, good morning. Yeah. She said something like, good morning. And he thought that was weird. He was like, what the fuck? So, you know, the next person he saw, he was like, I just saw Bellatrix Lestrange, and she said good morning to me. What? Yeah. yeah. She, she said was good all morning like, to good me. Good morning. Well, that's Bellatrix Strange. <laughs> 
Seriously, yeah, no, you really it's do. Just... It's like they don't really do a, a, a reaction shot, but you see that guy in the wide shot as he walks away. You can see that he's just he like, back what? Like, it's like, what <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even throw a curse at me. <laughs> I was, I was fully expecting her to, at the very least, say "sit and spin." <laughs> <laughs> but no, I got a good morning. Something's up with that chick. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. That is, it's so spot on that literally every time you see her, you just, I can't see Bellatrix Lestrange at the time. It's like, yeah. nope, that's just 100% Hermione. Good Lord. <laughs> I love that fake beard they put on Ron to be like her mad servant. I don't know why that always I, makes I me it's like, it's like, it's like Ron, Ron, as the weird mad, the weird mute mad servant of Bellatrix Lestrange, it's like, oh yeah, that seems on brand for her, whatever. Right. It's like, we are, we are running really low in disguises. Good Lord. yeah no it's it's a fun sequence i will say that my previous complaints about the portrayal of goblins in the harry potter world is not made any better by this sequence at all especially with the way they end this sequence especially with the way they end it because on the one hand it actually starts decently enough with grip in the cottage where he's like okay yeah you Buried Dobby, uh, that shows you're remarkably compassionate. That's unusual for wizards. And it's like you could have a broader conversation about how wizards kind of need to treat yeah. people better. You know, showing that Grip Hook is, you know, not uh, in it for the wizards, but, you know, a potentially decent person. And then they just kind of have him betray Harry and the team for no goddamn reason at all. It's not even the case where you're in the book the team was clearly plotting to steal the sword away from Griphook and Renege on their deal, and he might have caught on to that. In the movie, that's not the case. He just literally just uh, screws them over for no goddamn reason. It's it's frustrating. Um, I honestly think it would have been a quick and better rewrite, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't have changed the story had they made it to where Griphook agreed uh, that they can keep the sword. But, and this is why they did what they did, they needed a plot device so that they did not have the sword and so that it could appear to Neville Longbottom later in the later in the book mm-hmm. and in the movie. So Griphook becomes this plot device. Yeah. That's the reason why it's written that way. But I think that they could have laced it with something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could have gotten lost. Ah. I just don't understand why they had to make him be the one to turn. And then they killed him off anyway. Yeah. So it didn't really matter. And then the Gryffindor sword disappeared. Honestly, a quick and easy way to do that is have him, like, still trying to help him. But then he's carrying the sword and he dies. And yes. they have to get and out of there and they don't the have sword. time to go back for it. Yes. That's they all you guys do. And then the sword disappears. It would not have hurt the... It would not have hurt the story mm-hmm. one bit had they done it that way the way they did it was an easier way to do it and they could say oh goblins you gotta you gotta be very strict on how you say it what you say semantics is everything to a goblin but as is it just plays into the whole it does goblin bankers being cruel greedy yeah. stereotypes it's not great especially because it's like oh so you're saying that literally no goblin they interact with is a decent person that's yeah, I don't like that. I think it's a legitimate complaint. Yeah, it's I I, I think that that's that's definitely legitimate, and, and, and it, it definitely is a bit of an issue. Um, but the sequence as a whole, I still really enjoyed this sequence. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it's really interesting. Of yeah, it, 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 kind of going to that idea of 
how far is the trio kind of willing to go to win the fact that they cast the imperious curse on the on the head bank teller yeah i think that that was really interesting the fact that you know just a couple movies ago this was presented as being this unforgivable curse this literally unforgivable thing uh to take somebody's free will away from them but it becomes this thing of like, look, if we don't accomplish this mission, we're all fucked. Like it, be- it becomes this, th- and and they're they're willing to cross more lines that they weren't willing to cross before. I think it also shows how addicting it is that you've already done it once. You might as well do what you need to do to get out of this mission. Uh huh. So it shows how addicting it is to keep using that curse. Yeah. yeah. It's a slippery slope, as you hear people say. Mm-hmm. It's really dark, but I always kind of chuckle when uh, the, the, the one, the, 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 again, the one goblin who's under the Imperious curse ends up getting gets killed, burned. gets burnt by the dragon, <laughs> and Rod just says, well, that's unfortunate. Just <laughs> yes. that, that line always makes me laugh. It's like, that's really dark, but it's also, like, actually really just Understatement of the year, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we still have... <laughs> Well, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like when when, uh, when Griphook says, oh, the dragon's been trained to uh, expect pain whenever he hears this noise. When you realize the way that these goblins have been treating this dragon all along, the dragon, yes. like, escaping by torching everybody, like, it's like, you know what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you built up to that. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. like... You do feel happy for the dragon. Yeah, it's like when an elephant takes care of an elephant trainer that's been abusing them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You can't feel bad. <laughs> yep. It's like, yeah, you had it's that like coming. The, the bull wins the bullfight. It's like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I just love, like it's such a fun sequence the way they, they, they grab onto the dragon and then escape on the back of the dragon. Like, this is one yeah. of those things that, like, you know, it's a fun sequence in the book, but like, this is one of those things. It's like, this was meant for a movie adaptation to like really get the spectacle Absolutely. of it. You know, it's, it's so much fun. I love that it's an old dragon, and I love that we get to see the dragon dragon kind of enjoy itself whenever it gets yep. more to the lake and an old blind dragon nice. who yeah literally can't see what's going on but they've got a sense of smell and a little bit of freedom so yep <laughs> yeah i love like when they get over the lake and the dragon starts to get a little low because this thing like should we jump off it's like yeah if we don't now we're probably we're probably never get a chance you know that's yeah. it yep yeah <laughs> do you see how starved this thing looks as soon as it figures out it's got food riding on its back it's <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> wizard niblets mm, yummy <laughs> of course after this sequence uh we go back into hogsmeade and we have this scene with aberforth dumbledore who's played by uh kirian hines who i didn't realize this is kirian hines for a long time uh uh, again, almost unrecognizable in this movie, but uh, any thoughts on this character in this scene in, in Hogsmeade, you know, kind of meeting Dumbledore's very jaded brother? I think that he's a perfect cast. Oh my god. He's so good. I love that he's so against having hope, but he does have hope. Mm-hmm. And he's resentful with himself that he has hope. He has such resentment to, towards his brother, but he still loves him, and it's such a complicated mm-hmm. situation. You know, and he doesn't want to have hope in this plan, but he he can't help mm-hmm. but be secretly optimistic. You know, it's kind of like Sam wanting a season two of Obi-Wan. He acts like he doesn't, but deep down, <laughs> he's saying yes, yes. I just don't understand why I became the target of this. <laughs> like... <laughs> 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 so 
hurts your feelings, Sam. You know it's to be true. <laughs> but I, I, I really love what they did with with Aberforth, and I love that he is fighting the fight, even though he thinks it's foolish. And even though he thinks it's the end, he is still fighting this fight because it's all he has. I really do love him in this role. It it helps that between the makeup and also just, you know, kind of how Kieran Hine looks, you immediately see the resemblance between him and uh, Albus. I don't know. I've always kind of liked Aberforth, partially because he is completely right. Albus was way too secretive, and this is not a job he yes. should have given to children in the first place at all. And I also love how, despite all his complaints, despite his resentment, despite however he feels, he's still doing the right thing. He's still helping out Harry, you know, sending them on missions, saving them, secreting them away, working with the students in Hogwarts to try and help them out, you know, ease their pain at least a little bit. I, I don't know. I just really like him as a character. He's not quite got the wisdom or brilliance of Albus, but he is very much kind of, he's got all the heart and maybe even a little more so. <laughs> yeah, he's got all the heart and none of the patience. <laughs> <laughs> he's got none, no patience for any of that bullshit. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, fuck the long game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how he feels, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Of course, we get some, some hintings at kind of a darker backstory with uh, with the Dumbledore's sister as well. Um, these last two movies are kind of deconstructing the perception that we had of Albus Dumbledore in mm -hmm. the previous uh, films and books, mm -hmm. but at this, like, it, it's it's creating a more complex, I think, uh, tapestry. That, that's why yes. like, I feel like even on this podcast, we have a hard time deciding how, how we kind of feel amongst ourselves about Dumbledore as a character because yes. he was a very complicated person and he, he's, I, I think it is kind of up to interpretation. Like, do you, whether you think he was a decent person, you know, on a fundamental level, mm -hmm. or is is it as simple as saying that he was or he wasn't, you know? I think that he was a decent person, and I think that he just had tunnel vision for the long game. You know, yeah. he, he was the type that would say, I will sacrifice every motherfucker in here to take out Voldemort, and starting with myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that it is starting with myself, I think does actually reflect well on Dumbledore. He will yeah. sacrifice himself before he sacrifices anybody else. He is also yeah. willing to sacrifice other people, but Yeah. Well, watching the ending of this, I think that it's pretty it's pretty interesting that the one thing he gives Harry for the end is the resurrection stone. That I was actually going to bring that up. I think that's the biggest piece of evidence in support that uh, that Dumbledore actually does care about Harry as a person. Yes, yeah, I honestly is. think it does because it's it's one of those things. Harry was ready to die no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Dumbledore did not have to leave him the Resurrection Stone. No. I don't even necessarily think that Dumbledore knew that Harry was that that would somehow give Harry a way to come back, and I. I think he did. I think the reason Harry was able to come back was because he was the master of death and he held all three of the Deathly Hallows. Yes, exactly. But I don't know that Dumbledore could have predicted that Harry would end up being the owner of the Elder Wand. That's, I think that's he the part of it. Like maybe he guessed, but he because he left he, he left the cloak for him. He mm -hmm. left the stone for him in this movie. 
But I don't know if he could have predicted. I mean, Harry did end up being the owner of the Elder Wand, but I don't know if he could have predicted that, I guess. So I think Dumbledore is playing chess with the Deathly Hallows because he knew Voldemort would go after it. And he knew Voldemort would know that he had it because he took it for Grindelwald. Now, if he, if Voldemort had one piece of the Deathly Hallows, he could at least make sure Harry had the other two pieces. Yeah. And I think that he gave Harry the Resurrection Stone because he felt like, hey, maybe this kid that was thrown into all this deserves a new start and a new life where he doesn't have to worry about it. Exactly. So if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I'm sad, but, yeah. but, I but even if it doesn't work, even if it, Harry is going to his death, to his final death, yes. if nothing else, giving him the resurrection stone gives him one final chance to say goodbye to the people he didn't exactly. get a chance to say goodbye to. And even yep. that shows a sense of compassion on Dumbledore's yes. part. Mm-hmm. It does. It absolutely does. Absolutely. It's, it's the difference between knowing that you're going to die and that there's no there's no hope um everything's going to be just over and just having that little last reminder it's like when you do die these are the people who are going to be there and greet you because they're already here yeah exactly i'm still not sure whether or not it was the hallows that did it or if it was just because i know something went off with a killing curse and it literally just killed the part of Voldemort inside of him that it though that the curse being specifically designed for killing can't differentiate between one person or two and so it just kills one person at a time yeah i i think it was the res- resurrection stone yeah I, it, it might have been the hallows i'm keen on spell elements so it's interesting because my interpretation used to be your interpretation zach i used to <laughs> think that was just oh the killing curse just killed the horcrux and that's it it's as simple as that but as i've gone back and rewatched this movie multiple times and really kind of analyzed it i just think that the the idea of the deathly hallows it just feels a little too specific in in terms of the fact that it's it just it seems a little too meticulous the fact that harry does end up being the owner of all three of the deathly hallows and it's stated in the story if you hold all three deathly hallows you are the master of death i think that the reason i think that that's the reason he was able to come back is also because of the fact that when he is in limbo at the end it's not just that he survives he has the choice to move on or to come back that to me shows that he has to me that he's the master of death in that moment yes because he is the owner of all three deathly hallows he is the master of death and he does it it is ultimately his decision to leave or to stay yep but it is something it took me multiple viewings of this movie to put that together which to me then but that's why i love these like these two movies like i think that they 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 give you know it's it's like yes there's so many layers to it, but I also do think that that interpretation, Zach, I think that's also a valid interpretation, and I and yeah. I, I don't think it's def- it's definitely one over the other, but my interpretation has actually become that he came back because he's the master of death because he holds the, the three Deathly Hallows. That is, that is, that has become my interpretation. I personally think that is a good interpretation as well. That one really does make a lot of sense. So when the trio, of course, comes back to Hogwarts, we see Hogwarts in this very dark state. Of course, like... It's 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 difficult because like we as as viewers and readers have really fallen in love with Hogwarts over the the course of these movies and these books or, or, or so far, and Hogwarts really doesn't factor into part one of Deathly Hallows hardly at all. 
And so, but to, to come into this and to see Hogwarts in this state of the students and the teachers are essentially prisoners in this this school that was once their, their home. Neville talks about the fact that they're making them practice the Cruciatus Curse on first years. They're, they're making them literally torture 11 year old children which is like just like it, yep. it, it it's it's really painful but then seeing the fact that you know these these kids do still they are still ready to fight the good fight they do still have this hope and they're they're given this new sense of hope when when they see the trio come through i really enjoy that this this kind of little section of the movie yeah i, I do i do gen- genuinely like that as well i really love seeing neville especially take on that sort of leadership role that it's one of those things where, in some ways, I when I was watching um, or the Fe- when Phoenix, one thing I kind of wished for was that they had made it a little clearer in the movie that Neville could have been the chosen one. And another reason I wish they made it clear is because this movie, you know, as well as the book, but especially the movie, does a really good job of demonstrating. It's like Neville is kind of the chosen one. He is also very much a hero, very not unlike Harry at all. Yeah, he's also brave, resilient, and relying heavily on his friends to do the right thing. It's like, okay, yeah, I really enjoy seeing that. And I love seeing um, all the other students, you know, coming into play as well. I really love their return, but I think that they did a poor job in the movie at showing that Neville had been leading this siege against Snape and all of the Death Eaters in uh, this school environment. And I think that it should have been more important. Harry walks through the door, and Seamus and everybody just stands up and starts clapping like a room full of seals. What the fuck? Yeah, what they're doing is pretty important, but also... What Neville and and the rest of the students were doing was important because they were on the front lines while Harry was on this mission. Both important. And then Harry comes to Hogwarts, so Voldemort comes to Hogwarts, and all this shit is about to go down. I think that it would have been a stronger case if a lot of shit was about to go down anyway at Hogwarts... And then it was revealed that Harry's here. So all of these things, kind of like in Stranger Things, all of these things that are happening separately come to this denouement, to this point where there has to be a clash. And I think they should have shown a little more of that in this scene. There's even a good setup for it, because you have all these kids sleeping in the room of requirement, camping out there, and... It's kind of implied. It's like, okay, why are they not back because in their dormitories? Hunted. Is it's yes. yeah, because they're you know literally no longer able to go back to classes. They're not part of the regular school yes. curriculum anymore. They're you know preparing for a more organized resistance. But, if that's but what's when going Harry on, comes through the door, instead of looking at instead of looking at Neville and Neville giving the orders, who had that battle under control? They look at Harry and say, what do we do? I understand they look up to Harry because Harry taught them defense against the dark arts for one whole year. But at the same time, Neville earned his place as a leader. Neville was a general of that battle. I hear what you're saying. I think that we do see them look to Neville like as he kind of before Harry's revealed it. Like, I think that I still get the sense, I still get the implication when I watch these scenes that Neville has been holding the fort down and has been acting as a leader, but I also understand your complaints at the same time, Liz. Yeah. I I, I actually do. It just occurred to me, and I've been 
I've actually been against the idea that this should be readapted as a television series for the most part, but it did just occur to me just now that one big uh, plus in favor of it being readapted as a TV series in terms of adapting this book is being able to cut back and forth between what the trio is doing yes. and what Neville and all of them are yes. doing at the castle to actually expand mm-hmm. and add a subplot that actually wasn't in Absolutely. the book. Absolutely. That would mm-hmm. actually be a really cool thing that they could do if they, they adapted this as a show. And I, I, that just occurred to me and that's not something that I thought about, but that's one of the reasons why I've always wanted it to be adapted into a show. Yeah. It's because we could show all of the little nitty gritties. It doesn't have to be from Ari's point of view. Exactly. No, that is actually a good point because like the, the, the movies are fairly faithful to the books in the sense that they're all from Harry's point of view because the books are all from Harry's point of view. Yeah. But there is more to the story than just Harry Potter. And so like, really like even have like a through line of Neville Longbottom's story be a subplot throughout an entire series. I think yes. like that's, that's something that actually would actually be really appealing if they were to ever adapt this as a show. So I think mm-hmm. so for the first time, you're starting to win me over. I will say you're starting to win me over the first time. I'm like a poison. I just get under your skin. <laughs> like blonde hair dye. Tom Felton knows about that. Speaking of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all the we, I, I would like to shout out some love to Tom Felton because in in the last movie, he really showed himself as an actor, and in this movie, he does the same. He's confused, he's going back and forth, he's scared. Tom Felton, he plays one of the hardest roles in this movie to play. No, I was actually no, I was actually just thinking about the fact that like the whole Malfoy family in this movie is so interesting. <laughs> Uh, because like yeah. there's the scene with, through the there's the scene with fucking Lucius Malfoy where Voldemort <laughs> goes up to Lucius Malfoy is like how do you live with yourself Lucius and Lucius just like I don't, I don't know. know I don't like, know he he literally <laughs> just murmurs I don't know and I'm like. Look, if you're at the point in your life where someone asks you how do you live with yourself and your answer is, I don't know, <laughs> you need therapy, my man. Yes. <laughs> you need to quit your job and go touch some grass. But we, we never thought that we would ever feel sorry for Lucius Malfoy because he yeah. was the nastiest fucking Nazi <laughs> asshole yes. the entire mm-hmm. time. And this movie f- makes us almost feel bad for Lucius. Like, almost. We don't even, even, exactly, even know exactly what this guy's been dealing with which is every time we see him it's like yeah he's he's having a rough time yeah. oh god everything's just getting progressively worse for this dude and yeah. honestly he kind of deserves it but you know and then and then, Narci- then Narcissa who just collectively is just like fuck this shit it's like you know, yeah, when, she's, when uh, she sees Harry's she's alive got the backbone, she's yeah. like yeah I, I love that walk that she has like I, I love Tom Felton I love the actual moment of conflict he has um, when and his parents are telling him to join the Death Eaters because you he can really tell he genuinely he really doesn't want to. He, he, really doesn't doesn't want want to. he yeah. genuinely does not believe in that cause, and he does feel guilty about leaving Hogwarts. But ultimately, he's got to side with his parents. And yeah. I genuinely love the nonstop power stride that Narcissa <laughs> starts as soon as yes. Malfoy, as soon as Draco comes over there. Are they just like? 
nonstop strides out the castle, not looking back at all. It's like, oh, she's done with Fuck this shit. Fuck these bitches, we're done. Yeah. Fuck this shit, I am yeah, no, out. Like, Lu- no, Lucius is freaking out. Lucius is looking behind him and being like, is this okay? Like, are we going to get killed? Narcissus is just like, no, just don't even, don't even. Just fuck it. We're leaving. Okay. We're, we're done. It's like, you know, Lucy. And like, that was, that was the moment. It's like Voldemort's dealing with his own shit when he finds out Harry's alive. It's like, yep. no, this is the perfect opportunity to just fuck it. He's too busy chasing a child he can't kill. Come on, let's yeah. go. Exactly. <laughs> she saw the writing on that wall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All the other Death Eaters are like, God damn, he can't even kill this kid. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I'm out. <laughs> For all that uh, Draco was an asshole to the trio, and Draco absolutely yeah. was an asshole. Oh, you also, good. the more you get to know the family that he comes from, the more you realize, A, like how he became that. But I, I really do yeah. love, again, the, how how conflicted he becomes. And I, I love seeing him in the epilogue with his own kids. And he just has, he has just a moment of acknowledgement with Harry where you, you can tell, like, the two of them are never going to be friends. But, they're, but they not. but they, no. can, they can still have that just little bit of acknowledgement to each other of, like, they no longer hate each other. Exactly. I love as it goes along, you see how, just how dysfunctional the family was that he came from. Seeing what uh, Sirius's family was like, uh, and then seeing Bellatrix, and then seeing his home life. The way his home was done, it was dark, and it was like death warmed over at that house. So you just see the dysfunction as it unveils itself. And and you get why he argues with himself before he just goes to his parents. But ultimately, he gives in to his parents because he is that archetype. He is that archetype. Just a little more self-aware than most others. Yes, exactly. What about, uh, so when, when Snape is uh, asking anybody who uh, has a knowledge of Harry's whereabouts to step forward, first of all, just, just the chewing of every syllable that Alan Rickman does, I just love. Yes. like, <laughs> will be treated as equal. Equally, Equally. <laughs> I love it. And then when, when Harry shows up, and then McGonagall decides fuck this shit, and this awesome little duel that happens between McGonagall and Snape, where I love how clearly one sided that is. Well, Snape <laughs> is just defending because he doesn't want to fight McGonagall. Like he has to. Snape uses McGonagall's curses to knock out the two Death Eaters behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he is just defending himself. He's not going to attack McGonagall. He's not going to attack anybody else. And before he leaves, he makes sure he takes out anybody that can attack them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you see, he he won't let McGonagall know that he's working for them. But at the same time, he sees it's time he's, to go because they're really going to rip good. him apart. And Alan Rickman is such a master at playing these levels. He really yes. is. Where. He knows he has to keep up the facade. He knows yep. that he has to keep it up. But at the same time, he he does everything that he can while keeping up that facade. He does everything yep. he can to actually help the heroes. Yeah. It's the same thing he did in Half-Blood Prince. Exactly. Whenever Harry was shooting those those curses at him and he just kept bouncing them off. But just seeing like I just love seeing the full force of McGonagall when she just oh when she God. just unleashes against Snape, mm-hmm. you know, and just how fucking over it she is. Yes. And she she's been yeah. you can tell she's just been waiting for the first opportunity to to yep. do this, you know. To correct I love it. how she's like kind of shaking with anger, but also there's something 
weirdly intimidating and amazing about just the completely unspoken nature of that duel. She doesn't say anything like, oh, Snape, I always hated you, or... No. She doesn't say anything at all. She just comes up and starts blasting the shit out of him. Yeah. Um, completely wordlessly. Just, she's been holding that in. Yep. Yeah. And I love that it's fire that she fights with. It says a lot about her feelings. It's, it's an amazing sequence. Her line, her line about whenever she locks down Hogwarts and she looks at, and she looks at Molly and she says, I've always wanted to do that spell. I love that line. <laughs> and Molly's look at her like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, you you get the job of, you know, assistant headmaster, and they tell you, it's like, all right, here's what the spell you use to wake up all the statues and force them to defend the castle, and you're just like, what? I can't okay. think of a situation where I'm going to need that, but I kind of want it. it. <laughs> this is fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. It's like, as soon as Dumbledore told her, it's like, okay, you can only use this spell if Hogwarts is, you know, like under siege. <laughs> well, I said, Minerva, I see that look in your eyes. You just want to do this just, just to do it. <laughs> <laughs> What if we had a very bad infestation of raccoons one day? No, no. (laughs) Bad, Minerva, bad. (laughs) There's a troll in the dungeon. No, Minerva, no. We can handle the troll. (laughs) There's a a hilarious uh, edit of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone called Harry Potter and the Deathly Weapons, where they replace all the wands with guns. It's fucking hilarious. It's a little hard. I, I have a copy of it. It's a little hard to find online because it keeps getting pulled down, but I was able to download a copy before it got taken down. But if you could find this thing, it is hilarious. Professor Quirrell, when he runs into the Great Hall and says, Troll in the dungeon! Troll! I thought you ought to know. Instead, instead of just, like, fainting, he, in this version, he shoots himself in the head after that. It's like, Troll! And then everybody else is like freaking the fuck out is so much funnier. It's like, what? <laughs> also, instead of using uh, the Petrificus Totalis ter- curse, Hermione just like straight up shoots Neville in the head. Yeah, she just shoots and he's up, dead she's... for the entire rest of the cut. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god. That's hilarious. I, I also I really enjoy the the part of this movie where they're searching for Ravenclaw's lost diadem. First of all, the scene where uh, Harry comes through and he's like, "Okay, so we have to search for something in the in the castle." It's like, "What is it? We don't know that. Where is it? We don't know that either." I know it's not a lot to go on, guys. No, it's uh, fucking nothing. Literally <laughs> nothing to go on. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing to go on. But of course, <laughs> Luna, being the MVP she always is, is still able to mm-hmm. somehow extrapolate. Oh, it has something to do with Ravenclaw. Well, could be, could be her diadem, yep. I guess. Uh, yeah, she was who right. <laughs> might actually be the smartest character in the series. It's hard exactly. <laughs> but the the scene where uh, Harry is talking to Helena Ravenclaw's ghost, I think, is uh, really uh, it's a really interesting scene. Uh, seeing like. Uh, the, the resentment she has for, for that diadem, especially after it was cursed, it's like, you know, the thing that gets her attention is, what what if I told you I want to blow it up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, the book goes into more detail on why, but frankly, the way the scene is done, you don't need to know why. No. Um, it's just very clear that that thing has cost her nothing but trouble even mm-hmm. before she died. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that Harry doesn't really provide another convincing argument for why she should help, apart from 
just reiterating, no, I really do want to destroy it. And I don't know, it's it's interesting seeing her reaction, her her working through that on whether or not to trust him. Um, again, even though the last time she trusted somebody, it led to Voldemort. It's just an interesting scene. I, I love the yeah, I love the performances they're they're giving there. I'm just I just think they're lucky that they never called like. Ghostbusters into Hogwarts because right. they wouldn't have had these ghosts to talk to to get these to get these uh, secrets that Voldemort had. If I was Voldemort, I would have called Ghostbusters and had all the ghosts taken care of in mm-hmm. in Hogwarts. Just saying. Yeah, kind of surprised. Yeah, there's not some sort of exorcism spell or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah, like the way they did the ghosts visually in this movie, I think it's more interesting than what they did in the previous films. Like, I like the fact that as she moves more quickly, she kind of turns into this ball of light and kind of goes back and forth between that and in the, in the kind I of like human ghost too. form. Like, I, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's cool. I think it's more, it's, it is. it's more interesting. more aesthetic. Yeah, it's more interesting than like what they did with like Nearly Headless Nick or Moaning Myrtle in the previous yeah. ones, which I, I liked those ghosts too. I just think this was a little more interesting. No, I definitely agree, yeah. What about the scene in the Room of Requirement where uh, Draco, Goyle, and some other dude who's not Crab uh, show up? <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was Draco, Crab, and some other dude who's not Goyle. Uh, wasn't it Goyle? I thought it was Goyle. I, I might be wrong. No, th- like in the book, that was Crab, and then thought it was the same actor i thought that in the movie it was goyle instead of crab like i think that they changed which one it was but either way they become crispy critters exactly (laughs) i thought i thought it was goyle because wasn't wasn't goyle the one who harry took his shape in chamber of secrets because i thought ron was crab and harry was goyle no ron was crab but they they look very similar yeah i don't think they have a i don't think they have a um a difference i don't think they gave them enough screen time for us to tell the difference and they're both you know heavy set white boys and they all yeah. look the damn same i think i think that is crap <laughs> the thing the entire thing is that in those first few movies they look almost exactly the same because they're identical flunkies with no personality and that's actually something that we think about it that i like about the sequence is that they're kind of over being malfoy's butt boys yeah crab is his own brand of horrible over the years. He even figured out how to cast an incredibly powerful curse, not how to control it, just how to cast it in the first place. Because he's a moron. According exactly. to Wikipedia, it is Goyle. It's Draco, Zabini, and Goyle are who attack yeah. him in the room requirement. Zabini. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what it said. I was pretty certain that it was Goyle. All right. Well, it was, and now he's just a crispy critter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I do I do love how it's like we couldn't actually get both actors back. <laughs> well, because the guy the kid who played uh Crab like had gotten arrested or something. Um right. that was that was why because like it would have been Crab. Like I, I think it would have been Crab yeah. and Goyle if, if it hadn't yeah. been, but like but but he it was, was in trouble. It was just because he was in trouble. Yeah, was was the reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was Goyle. Yeah, it was definitely Goyle. Um who was who right. was in in this movie. Almost certainly going to be what happens in whatever Flash sequel they got. <laughs> yes. God <exactly>. damn it. <laughs> or <are we> <laughs> New Flash. <laughs> yes, but the, uh, no, Barry Allen has now been replaced as a character by Blaze Sabini from the Harry Potter film. Wait, what? <laughs> he is the fastest wizard alive. I don't care who they replace him with. I just want to see Michael Keaton as Batman. Just give me that. Yeah. Fuck Flash. 
Fuck Flash. Bold move. (laughs) We're just going to edit the entire movie so it's just the Batman and Supergirl movie for some reason. Yes, done. (laughs) A new Batman movie with Michael Keaton. Done. That's all I want. Don't you see me slobbering a little bit? (laughs) He he had his tenure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we gotta... I want Batman Beyond with Michael Keaton. I want Batman want Beyond that. with Michael Keaton. I actually do want Batman yes. Beyond with Michael Keaton, yes. but I don't. I don't really care about the. I, I yes. don't really care about this Flash. Movie. I do I desire that. <laughs> but no, Batman Beyond with Michael Keaton. I actually do want that. But as far as like our mainline Batman goes, like Pattinson's great. I, I like Pattinson. I love but... Pattinson. He's yeah. And I Pattinson. wish they, I wish they would bring Affleck back too, but it's fine. But I digress. This this rumor requirement action sequence. Yes, Goyle does uh, end up a, as a crispy critter, you know, falling into the flames. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't feel bad. Yeah. I mean, now, himself, well, Malfoy he was he fall, was the one who know. cast that. He was the one who cast that fire snake yeah. spell that went out of control too. Yeah. So he got yeah. killed. He got killed by his own stupidity. You know. Yeah, yeah I, I just don't feel bad for him. No, it's a it's a really fun sequence. I like that Harry insists on going back for uh, Draco and was his face. Even was his face. They don't even know. Like, who are you? Well, I'll save you anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a really terrible way to die. Honestly, let's. Yeah, I think part of it's. I think the big thing is that Harry has left other people out of eye. He did not like try and make sure everyone in Gringotts is fine with the dragon. Um, you know, earlier in the battle. You know, he just kind of ran past, occasionally intervening, but not making that big a deal of it. I think the big reason is just that as he was talking to Malfoy, he pointed out that Malfoy didn't give him up. He's aware that Malfoy is not just a... There is something more complex there. And might as well save Zagini while we're at it. Malfoy saved him, and in turn, he needed to save Malfoy. Exactly. I owe that... I owe him one. All right, let's turn around. Let's get this fucker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's Ron. That's what Ron was like. It's like, do we really have yeah. to? Like, oh, yeah. fine. I love Ron. I had a shower thought the other day when thinking about the Harry Potter trio, which is that the Harry Potter trio are like prototypical examples of the three good D and D alignments. That Hermione, yes. Hermione is textbook lawful good. Ron is right. textbook chaotic good, and Harry is absolute neutral good. Like it, yeah. it's, it's one yep. of those things. Like they they completely are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a really fun sequence. I love the creativity of giving the fire all those uh, crazy animal shapes. You know, one point it's a dragon, one point it's a snake, another point it's a. You know, was it a horde of wild wolves at one point? It was. It was some weird shit. And then also, in the book, they have the diadem be destroyed just by the fire. They didn't need this fang. But I liked that they got the fang in so that you could have it start spewing that smoke. And then I love the uh, the football kick right into the fire. It's like, yep, yeah, fuck that shit. <laughs> I think it makes way more sense for the diadem to be destroyed by the fang. And I didn't remember that from the book. But it's like, they've shown that they've tried to destroy these horcruxes with all these spells. Like, mm-hmm. why would this spell destroy it? Well... Yeah. The the only reason that I can see why someone else wouldn't try it is because of how crazy uncontrollable it is. So it's like, this is not a spell that you would really, unless you were like 100% certain you could get away from it, this is not a spell that you start. Yeah. 
I still think that it just makes more sense in my mind that we've already established that the, the Fang destroys the Horcruxes, so, like, let's just keep with that, you know? Like, there's no yeah. real reason, in my but, opinion. Like I said, I, I do I, I do actually like that change. It is it's yeah. much more dynamic yeah. as well. Of course, uh, we, we also get the scene where Ron and Hermione do get the Basilisk Fangs from the uh, Chamber of Secrets, and this is where they put the, the kiss between Ron and Hermione in the movie version, which... I, I actually kind of like it. I like that. I like yeah. that it happens when it's just them in the room and Harry's not the weird third wheel. It's like, you know, they, yeah. they kind of have this, uh, this, this, what they think is like this near death experience. It's like, oh, I know that was actually a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I do also like, it's the, it's a brief string of Ron having good ideas and paying attention. That <laughs> well, that's why I love. Like, like Ron is great in these last two movies. He really is. Yeah. Like he's shown to like, he does pay much closer attention than, than he himself kind of lets on, you know, of course oh, yeah. he pay, but he does if, if pay attention to everything that Hermione says, you know, it's, it's like right. you know, that Hermione yes. kind of realizes it's like, Oh, you were listening to that thing I said last year. Ron is a sponge, and he does well under pressure and in a pinch. Chaotic good <laughs> energy. Gotta love it. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so the full battle of Hogwarts, of course, I really love the sequence. Uh, this, this is one of those things that's in the movie, but not the book, where Neville and Seamus work together to destroy the bridge. Of course, Neville has this great action scene where he's running from the bridge as it's, like, getting destroyed. Yes. Like, I love this scene. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, it's, yeah. it's, it's yet another of several moments in this movie where Neville gets to be the hero, but it's just, it's just a fun action scene and getting to use, you know, this bridge that we've had as, as kind of scenery for these past several movies. Like, let's integrate this. Let's integrate all of these elements that we've incorporated into the Hogwarts grounds. It's like, it's super mm-hmm. fun. It reminds me of the scene in Star Wars where Han Solo makes all that noise and starts running after the, st- the stormtroopers. And the stormtroopers run until they find their their backup, and then they start running after him, and he gets scared because at first <laughs> all the Death Eaters are running after Neville, and they're like ah, and then yeah. when the explosions go off, they're not running for Neville, they're running away from death, and <laughs> they go from ah to ah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's weird to me that this that actual that sequence happened twice in this film. Because yes. um, also in the Room of Requirements scene, you have a scene where Ron is chasing after, uh, <laughs> you know, Malfoy, uh, Goyle, and, you know, Blaze, and he's like, ah! And then a few seconds later, he's running back. Ah! Yeah. Just, he went full Han Solo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's also just a fun sequence. Plus, you got a bunch of Nazis tossed into a gorge, so, yeah. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Always fun. Including, you know, that that head snatcher from the uh, the first part. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's satisfying seeing that that dude (laughs) fall to his death. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, What about all my friends who died, died? All the people who died. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about some some of the casualties uh you know before we kind of get into the main main climax you know of course fred weasley unfortunately gets his his untimely death that that was the one that always tore me up in the book uh more than anything else yeah. and then both tonks and lupin which i remember being also being angry when i read the book it's like you gotta kill them both you can't leave one of them alive you know but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt very much the same about the whole Tonks and Lupin situation. It's like, oh, that's that's bullshit. But yeah, even other minor characters, like you see, uh, you know, Lavender Brown yeah. apparently died. Uh, one of the uh, Patil twins died as well. Yeah, it's 
affecting how much of that just happened off screen, how it also gives the scope of the battle as well. You see so many characters that you do know and so many, obviously, that you don't are just gone forever. It's exactly what you said earlier that I'd actually argue the last movie was also a war movie, just a very different phase of the war. This is very much the horror of war movies, seeing all those people you grew up with, um, people who were lively, you know, helped form, you know, who Harry was as a person, just gone in an instant, didn't even get a chance to really mourn or see them go. It's affecting. It definitely helps shape, you know, Harry's decisions near the end. And I had realized after the fact, and and this has been, uh, you know, she who must not be named has said so much in interviews that the reason she killed both Tonks and Lupin was was to kind of highlight the idea, like, like uh, something that, that happens in war, which is children getting orphaned. Yep. And their son is like barely talked about in these two movies, but, but, but he is mentioned. He is mentioned, you know, it's, it's one of yeah. those things like... I think just knowing that they had a son, like hearing the mention that they have a son, still kind of drives that point home of like seeing the, the children does. who do get orphaned as as a result of war, as Harry himself was, uh, you know, in, in early in his his life as well, that he never really got to know his parents, and now Tonks and Lupin, their son, will never really get to know him in the same way that Harry didn't know his parents yeah um, his parents and hopefully of course uh tonks and lupin's kid will have a better childhood and be raised by much more loving foster parents than what what, what harry, than harry had deal with last i checked um i might have misinterpreted that in the book in the movie but it kind of seems like he lives with terry and jenny he he does Oh yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Teddy is Teddy is adopted by by Harry. Yeah, he was oh, certainly he was certainly traveling with them um, when they were on the train. You you briefly see little curly haired Teddy Lupin. Yeah. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that was who that was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's no one better to really raise him but Harry. Exactly. Yeah. It's, honestly, yeah, it's a good choice, and definitely considering Harry's childhood, he's definitely going to. I was going to say definitely, but I have the one caveat on that. Um, I was going to say definitely going to have a better childhood than Harry had, but then again, Harry did name his child Albus Severus, which, even if those two weren't such huge dicks, that's still a lot of weird name to grow up with. You are you are setting that <laughs> child up for a lifetime of bullying. Um, he, he just, he has to go by Al. He has no other choice. Yeah, he just has to go by Al. That's his only choice. Why? What about yeah. Sev? What about Sev? Hey, Sevy. Hey, Sevy. Uh, that, that was Snape's only option. Uh, <laughs> bus? Hey, bus. <laughs> hey, bus. <laughs> bus. <laughs> no, he's he's got to go with Al. Al is his he's, only option. Al, Al is that's his only hope, really. <laughs> what about Russ? Yeah, we'll call him Russ. <laughs> yeah, that's, okay, that's, that's okay. I guess Russ is fine. Uh, <laughs> it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should just call him Er. <laughs> Ask Er over there. <laughs> What's Er short for? Severus. <laughs> oh, well, oh, yeah. Maybe what's he short for? Well, his father wasn't really that tall. So. <laughs> <laughs> Guess he inherited that. This is that. true. This is true. <laughs> 
What about the sequence where Voldemort kills uh, Snape in the uh, the boathouse? Here's one interesting thing. Voldemort, of course, kills Snape because he believes falsely that Snape is the uh, possessor of the Elder Wand. To the end, Voldemort does actually think that Snape is a loyal servant to him. And yet he kills him in kind of an unusually cruel way. He could have just mm-hmm. a cadaver his ass, but he slits his throat if it has Nagini eat him. It somehow occurs to me that in some ways Voldemort is... He's, he's a deeply cruel person, but also, like, at some point he got so twisted that he became kind of intentionally cruel to the people that he's closest to in some ways. He is very much the opposite of Harry in a lot of ways, because to the people that he trusts, the people he's confident toward, he really enjoys cutting out bits of his humanity. He's actively made himself look less human over time. And so, I know, I think he just gets kicks out of being perversely cruel to those who look up to him or who he thinks look up to him. I don't know. There's something wrong with that guy. That boy ain't right. Definitely wrong. (laughs) Definitely wrong with that guy. There is something definitely wrong with that guy, yes. I'm not going to say it's because he doesn't have a nose, but there's something definitely wrong with that asshole. I mean... Think about the way he laughs. <laughs> oh my god, that laugh. That laugh. Yep. <laughs> what? That, also, like, seeing him try to hug Draco is it's kind of perfect in a way. Oh it's like, my wow, god. That is the hug of a man who has never hugged never anyone hugged in anybody. his entire yes. life before and has <laughs> he no puts, idea how it works. He like puts his arm around him, keeping space uh, in between his arms uh, and Draco, and then he taps his back. Uh, uh, uh. Tap, tap, uh. It's like, wow, you you really have no idea how those things work, do you, man? Oh, wow, that's that's amazing. Draco, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you, you the man literally cannot even fake like being happy or friendly <laughs> he has just ripped all of his humanity out so you know <laughs> it's kind of like you see kids you see kids with those psychotic smiles because they really don't know how to smile and they're copying people and they're just like eh <laughs> that's that's the man yeah that's that's Voldemort yeah well what about this uh pensive sequence where Harry experiences the full scope of Severus Snape's story and I almost wonder like how much of of the the details of his childhood does Snape even mean to put into that memory or how much is is all of this just you know all of his yeah, association just with Harry. Flows. Yeah, all of his association with yeah. Harry, he can't separate it from Lily and James, like all of that just kind of mm-hmm. comes forward. I think he lets go and I think he has no control because yeah. I think he's focusing on that Harry has to die and Albus Dumbledore is such a big motherfucking dick that he doesn't even tell Severus, hey, I got a plan, maybe Harry doesn't have to die. No, he tells him, hey, everything you work for? We gotta kill him. We just gotta kill him. We're gonna sacrifice him like everything else. And so Severus Snape dies with no hope. 
which is why we don't see Severus Snape's ghost in the end. He's like, fuck this shit, I'm out. (laughs) You've mentioned before that Dumbledore is kind of a complicated person. This sequence actually does a lot towards making him... This this actually is a lot towards convincing me. It's like, oh, this... He's genuinely not a really good person. Like, he's not 100% bad. He's not an evil person. But to people that he doesn't actively like, he can be remarkably cruel for no reason. Like, when you first see that sequence where Snape is surrendering to Dumbledore, when Snape was still a Death Eater, and he's asking them, it's like, look, Lily and James Potter save them and Dumbledore instead of being like yeah these are allies who I like and who are good people and therefore I'm you know immediately going to save them he's like all right what are you going to give me if uh, I save them for you it's like that shouldn't have been a conversation you're not supposed to bargain for the option of saving your own allies I think Dumbledore is an accidental dick I don't think he's a dick on purpose Dumbledore admits his shortcomings in this conversation you know, he tells he tells Severus they put their faith in someone that they shouldn't have, much like yourself. You feel that Dumbledore is mourning once again, once again, just like he let his sister die, he let James and Lily Potter die. But he can't show that softer side to Snape. He refuses to show that softer side to people, just like Snape refuses to show his softer side to people, and Dumbledore is his only confidant. It shows that Dumbledore has all this, all these things up in play, and he's looking at this bigger picture, but he still has tunnel vision, and he doesn't see the feelings or the outcomes of other people around him, the people closest to him. I think this proves that Dumbledore is an accidental dick. He wants to leave the world a better place than what he received, but at the same time, he does have shortcomings. Yeah. And I think that he also really doesn't trust Snape at this point. He's he's no, still he like, is is this some kind of no. trick? Is is Voldemort? You know, did did Voldemort actually send you to throw yes. me on some kind of false trail or something like that? And but I also agree. Like, it is a dickish way to respond to that. And Dumbledore is a it dick is. to Snape. Like, in multiple he times, is. even in the sequence, Dumbledore is a dick to Snape. You know, oh, yeah. he absolutely is. But I, I think that that comes from having started off a place of he just really didn't trust Snape. He viewed Snape as yeah. being the enemy. Yeah, it's it's an interesting sequence because it does a lot to humanize Snape. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again: Snape in the movies is genuinely a better person than he is in the books, but. He's not a great person, um, still. Like, no, no. <laughs> not, not at all. He's, he's not a great person. Um, he's a tortured soul, but no. He's, he's dealing with a lot, but you also have that part where he's, you know, seeing Lily, and he kind of has tunnel vision um, in that he visits the house, he cries over Lily, and then apparently he just leaves Harry there? To get picked up by somebody else? He leaves Harry and takes a picture that he rips. He rips James Potter off of it and throws that shit away. And he leaves with a picture of Lily. (laughs) I'm going to save this in my spank bank. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to save this in my spank bank. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so it's it's weird in that he does seem to have genuinely loved Lily, but he still kind of lacks the milk of human kindness for yes. everyone else. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the anti-hero. That's that's kind of his deal. He's not a hero, he's not a particularly good man. He is 
an anti-hero. An anti-hero. This sequence, I think, is absolutely brilliant. It's one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. It honestly is. Like, it's it's so emotionally affecting. And when, again, when I say that, I do agree with you, Zach, in the sense that I don't think Snape is a good guy. He's a very deeply flawed person. He has a lot of character defects. His a lot of his treatment of Harry really isn't excusable. But at the same time, just the way that this sequence is presented, the way it's it's shot, the way it's edited, and especially especially the performance by Alan Rickman throughout this entire franchise. They're like, yes, it's it's not it's not excusable or healthy to be so hung up on this person who, you know, just doesn't feel the same way and is now fucking dead. Yes. But at the same mm-hmm. time, Every time I watch this movie and he says the word always. Yep. Oh, <laughs> God, my heart. Every single time yep. I watch the movie. Every single time I watch the movie. And it's not because of the character. It's because of Alan Rickman. 100%. Yes. Yep. It honestly is. Just, just Always. Yeah. He, he, eleva- he elevates <laughs> he the com- character so much. And he does. It, yeah. His, he does. His performance in these last few Snape scenes, um, both his death and here, is just... It's incredible. Snape is a character who split the fans down the middle. You know? Mm -hmm. There were so many people that hated him and so many people that loved him. That's why he had to have such a violent death. He had Mm. to have such a violent death so that you would feel differently when you saw how he lived. His principles for living. He did live for love. He lived for his own love. And then he did fall in love with Harry. But we don't need to know that until after his death. We were in the same situation that Harry was. We were being manipulated up until that very last moment. Mm -hmm. And everybody just gets a piece of the puzzle. It's just like what they did in the last um, Fantastic Beasts. It's Dumbledore's M.O. You only get the piece you need. Yeah. I have not seen that movie. It's a manipulation tool. (laughs) It was, it was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot more than the, the second one. And I didn't even like yeah. the second one, but I, I, I liked I liked the, the third one a lot, actually. But but yeah, but there, but there is a thing in that movie, and this doesn't really give anything away significantly, but there is a... Oh, I, I don't care about but spoilers, there, there, just say But it. there is a thing in the... It, it's a good movie, Zach. I, I actually do recommend it, right. but but there is a thing where, where Dumbledore does kind of say... Uh, he, he does have the M.O. in that movie of everybody has a piece of it, but nobody yes. has the whole puzzle. And in the situation they were in in that movie, I actually do think that worked out really well for him. But I think that he took that and he took it a little too far, I think, later in his life. Yes, you know, I think he, he got he got used to act, to operating that way after, you know, dealing with the Grindelwald situation. He got used to dealing that way. And that just became his default of nobody can have the whole puzzle because you're right, Liz. Like, there really isn't any reason for him to not tell Snape, hey, I also have like arrange things so that Harry can get the resurrection yeah. stone. If everything works out, there's a chance maybe he's actually going to come yeah. out of this. There's no real reason for him to not tell Snape that. You're right. Snape should have yeah. had that hope in his life. He should have had that. Even if it didn't work. Yeah. But Dumbledore doesn't think about other people's feelings. He doesn't because he thinks of things that need to get done. He definitely yeah. doesn't give a shit about Snape's feelings. You see in this sequence. Absolutely not. You see in this he sequence, he doesn't give a shit about Snape's feelings. He really does He doesn't. makes no attempt to try and comfort Snape at all. It's like, no. so the boy must die? Yeah. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. He's even taken aback when he realizes that Snape's Patronus is a doe. Mm-hmm. He he thought Snape had gotten over it years ago. Yeah, yeah, and when Harry mentions it at the end, 
Dumbledore is just like, I don't think it's too curious. He doesn't want to talk about it. It's just the way he is. I think it's Dumbledore at the very end started to kind of realize his own mistakes. He um, did. And also started to realize that Snape was genuinely still coming from a place of love. And he'd had a little bit of time to think about it. Partially because he was dead for a while. And that gives you a lot of time to think about it. Yeah. And so he realized, yeah, no, it's not really that curious that Snape is still so connected to Lily. I wish they had left the, the line in there. I think we assign houses too early. I wish they had left that in there because it also shows Dumbledore's biases in that one line. Yeah. Well, and we're going to play devil's advocate for a second, you know, kind of getting into that, that scene where Harry and Dumbledore are in limbo. And I know Liz, I've, I've already heard you kind of say your thoughts on this, but I do have to throw it out there in, 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 j just as a thing that, Maybe it's not that Dumbledore reached that, that revelation after he died. Maybe that really actually isn't Dumbledore and that this is actually a part yeah. of Harry's subconscious that he's talking to. Yeah. Honestly, it really could be. And that's something I genuinely like about the sequence. Yeah. It's like, maybe this is the gateway to the afterlife. Maybe Harry is just having a near-death experience and is... Greeted by an old friend. Yeah, he's putting together the pieces of what had happened and the figure that he uses to tell him this, to give him the revelations that he's actually putting together is Dumbledore. Yeah, I like that Harry says, is this real or is this all in my head? And I love the answer is, of course it's all in your head, but that doesn't mean it's not real. It's real to Harry. It's, it's a line that... That will always stay with me. It's such a juicy line because there's 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 different ways you could take that, and and that that's why that's why I don't I still even after that line I still don't fully commit to one interpretation or the other. I yeah. I think I think either one feels valid to me because yes. if yeah. it could be Dumbledore because again Harry just had the resurrection stone he saw all these other people who who had just died maybe through his recent exposure to the stone maybe he's seeing Dumbledore that way maybe it is a gateway to the afterlife and Dumbledore's just greeting him as 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 an old friend as death greeted the third brother as an old friend you know yes um mm -hmm. maybe it could be that or maybe this is just a lucid dream that Harry's having, and Dumbledore yeah. is the figure that he assigns to that. And I, I think I think any of that feels valid to me. And frankly, none of them are really disappointing. They yeah. all have their interesting... But throughout Harry's journey, all of these have been implanted in his mind. It's all there. Exactly. I, I really love it. That is the true achievement of making a truly gothic movie is in the end having it to where the audience sits down and says, was it real or was it imagination or was it both? That is gothic imagination. I remember when I read this book for the first time, the movies were coming out kind of as the books were coming out, like a couple books, a couple movies behind for, for each one. And I know Michael Gambon had already played Dumbledore in a couple movies as of the, when the movies were released, when this book came out. And I remember reading this scene and thinking to myself, I can't fucking wait to see Michael Gambon in this scene when they do the yeah. movie of this. I, I th it was, it was not a disappointment. Like no. this, Michael Gambon is just so fucking good in this. Michael Gambon and Daniel Radcliffe together in this scene are so fucking good. This is also one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's one of my favorite scenes in the book. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I love how open to interpretation it is. Yes. It's just, it's just the, these two actors in the same way that, you know, th these two characters are, it's, it's no longer, 
you know, the, the authority figure and the boy. It's now these two yeah. peers, these two equals. And I yes. feel that way about Daniel Radcliffe and Michael Gambon in this scene too, that they, that he's, he's no longer the kid actor. He's, 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 he's graduated and he, he completely holds his own with, with Michael Gambon in this scene. And it's, it's a, I love how purely Daniel Radcliffe he is in this scene too. The fact that he doesn't have the scar or the glasses in this scene. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's yeah. Yep. In this scene, you see that Dumbledore greets Harry as an equal uh-huh. because mm-hmm. Harry chose to accept his fate yes for the greater good that's what dumbledore did his whole life so yeah it's a gorgeous scene phenomenally done yeah really really fantastic scene and then of course harry decides to come back fakes uh being dead which i i do it it always does break my heart seeing hagrid think that oh my god that's 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 the thing that always breaks your eyes oh my god Robbie Coltrane mm-hmm. is just ah mm-hmm. absolutely. But then another scene, which I've got to say is one of my favorite scenes of the movie, because I keep saying that, but they they all come in a row. But <laughs> Neville Longbottom stepping up, being the fucking MVP of this entire movie, giving a big damn hero speech that gives me goosebumps every time, and then seeing him pull the fucking sword of Gryffindor out of that yeah. hat. Just it mm-hmm. just does it for me every single time. Like I just love it so fucking much. Neville Longbottom is absolutely the hero of this movie. He yeah. is a true Gryffindor through and through. Like everyone's mm-hmm. like, yeah, oh, he has more more Hufflepuff energy or whatever. It's like no, he proved in He's that a moment Gryffindor. he is a Gryffindor through and yeah. through, and that that like mm-hmm. he's the truest Gryffindor on the team. That's why he pulled the hat. That's why he yeah. got the sword. You know. Yeah, a detail I love about that, and it's a minor thing, but. I just love it so much is that he doesn't even really look at the hat. He just throws his hand in and he knows the sword's going to be in there. He knows it's there. Yeah. He just, he knows that. I love Neville. He needs it. And this is the time to have it. And he is damn certain that he deserves it. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I just love that detail. Um, Also, it's just a damn great speech. I also love like the Death Theaters heckling him at the start. It's like, oh, yeah. Here's a limping guy named Level Longbottom, and they saw who they thought he was and not who he actually was, um, who he was being. Ray Fiennes just does a great performance throughout this whole thing. I love Voldemort's little, well, I'm sure we all really love to hear your feedback, man. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> the aggravation he grabs the he grabs the air well rah, all right say your piece i'll kill you, you after know what? this is my fault I, I set up an open mic for everybody <laughs> <laughs> let's get this over with but ray finds he he is I don't know. I cannot see anybody else playing him just because. Oh, he's so good. Well, well, yeah. and, and just the acting, as as you see throughout this movie, of you see him as he realizes he's losing more and more control of the yes. situation. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he realizes I might actually lose this thing, you know, throughout yeah. as this movie goes yeah. through it, it, the, the genuine fear that sets in. He's truly, whenever they kill Nagini, he stops and he takes a moment. And you see in his eyes that he's truly like an animal that has been wounded and trapped. And yeah. he's, mm-hmm. he decides that he's going to fight his way out instead of begging for it. It's, it's one of those things where 
I get in the book why Carrie tried to have Voldemort go for a more son. Of course, he didn't go for it. But he tried because that's kind of who Book Harry was. He feels that anytime there's a chance to do right by someone, he's got to at least try for it. But I also don't hate the movie for leaving that out entirely because it's like, no, he had his chances. He had a lot of chances. But, you know, the the other thing about like that that hero moment with with Neville, it it does Mm. occur to me this movie would still have worked completely if Harry had actually died in the Forbidden Forest. Yeah, because yep. it's one of those things where, like, when the, the second Neville pulls the sword out of the hat, honestly, and this doesn't take away from the stakes of the climax at all, but whether whether Harry is actually alive or not, Voldemort still is going to lose this fight. He, honest, yes. yep. he honestly is. There might be more casualties on the, on the hero side if Harry is not there, maybe. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Voldemort had, had already lost at that point. Like, the, yeah, and, yep. Neville, Ron, Hermione, the rest of our heroes, like, they, I, I firmly believe they would have rallied and they would still have defeated Voldemort. They would have defeated him. Yeah, not complaining, because uh, I do think if anybody deserved a fucking break and a, a long, boring life, it's Harry Potter at the end of this. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> God, did Harry just deserve to get, like, a desk job for the rest of his days. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's why, like, people are like, oh, we're ever going to get, like, a legacy sequel with, you know, the Daniel Radcliffe returning as Harry Potter. It's like, the reason I don't want that is because I think Harry deserves a boring-ass life for the rest of his life after all the shit he's already yeah. been through. It's like... Absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you. We've had enough adventures. <laughs> exactly. I love so much that Neville's the one that kills Nagini. Like, it was, it yep. was cool in the book. It's so much better in the movie. It yeah. honestly yep. is. Like, the fact that, the, like, it, it, they made it this exciting moment of Nagini's, like, going after her, Hermione and Ron, and then Neville just comes in with a sword and boom! <laughs> like, it's so yep. good. Yes. This goes full Jabberwocky on that. This is definitely one of those, like, audience applause movies when it came out in the theaters. It is. Like, like yeah. and honestly, so many of the audience applause mo- moments were Neville moments. Him pulling the sword out and him they chopping just Snake's head off. Those were both huge applause moments, I remember, when this movie came out. Yeah. And Deservedly so. Absolutely. Like, I do also love the brief moment before he kills Nagini when he's first waking up after getting knocked unconscious of the hall. There's just <laughs> complete chaos. There's a man some, on fire. Some being burning thrown dude backwards. just flies past his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> well, Don't worry somebody's about it. on fire. <laughs> it's just like. All right, so things have gotten a little bit out of control. <laughs> I mean, what about Molly Weasley shattering Bellatrix like she's a porcelain pot, too? Like, Not my daughter, <laughs> you bitch! That was also right. Yes. That's like when I read the book, I'm like, oh, that they got to keep that line for the movie because that's such oh a movie my line. God. That's uh, that's, yep. that's totally like Sigourney Weaver. Get away from her, you bitch. You know? yes. <laughs> get away from her, you bitch. Bitch! Oh my god! Uh, yeah, I just, I just kind of love the reveal that it's like, oh, so uh, Belichick Strange is a crazy, powerful asshole, but uh, not anywhere near as strong as Molly Weezy. Good luck. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you don't mess with Mama Bear. I mean, I feel like that was mm-hmm. what that that was. She was already fucking pissed off about Fred's death, and it's like it, it, she she yep. wasn't gonna let any of her other kids get hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was her just being fucking done with it. Mama Bear. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was Mama Bear. That was a Mama Bear moment. <laughs> uh, Molly yep. Weasley is one of my favorite characters, just how fierce she is. 
And whenever she speaks throughout the franchise, people stop and listen and look a little worried. And now you fucking know why they look a little worried. You fucking know what ferocity comes with Molly Weasley. (laughs) Just a reminder, she will absolutely blast you to pieces. Yeah, because she doesn't, (laughs) she doesn't just kill her. She destroys her. Yes. He, mm-hmm. She doesn't want it to be easy and fast. She mm-hmm. fucking destroys every little bit of her. People, people <laughs> talk about how uh, how vicious they thought Sirius Black was because they thought that he only left a finger from Peter Pettigrew. Yes. She didn't even leave a fucking finger. No, there was, she didn't there was, leave anything. Nope. There was dust left. <laughs> like, <laughs> Obviously, for the sake of the movie, I'm glad this didn't happen, but it would have been goddamn hilarious if in the fourth scene with Voldemort, it's like, all right, so you're going to use the killing curse that leaves the body completely unharmed, right? Nope, I'm going to blow him up. <laughs> <laughs> Lucius, Lucius, sweep up the hairy bits. Give him the Hagrid. Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't do the double tap. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like... a good thing he was like, hey, check on him. See if he's alive instead of just in case. <laughs> Harry's in the, uh, the train station with double door. Double was like, well... You should have been able to, like, come back if you wanted to, but I'm not quite sure there's, like, a body to go back to, so, yeah. uh... <laughs> Sorry, Voldemort used Explodiarmus on you, and that's, that's worse than lethal. <laughs> uh, you can still go Ghost Route, but I'm not sure how useful that's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about the final what about this final duel between Harry and Voldemort? I mean, this is such a small thing, but I just love it whenever Harry calls Voldemort Tom because I know how much yes. I know I know how much that just gets under his skin. It gets <laughs> under his skin. Yep, he's been trying to escape being Tom all his life, and then you know, last fucking duel he's in, you have this teenager saying, "Hey, Tom, 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 you're an idiot." Exactly. <laughs> you didn't figure out shit. Yeah, no, it's it's a good it's a good fight. Um, in the books, the whole thing of wands connecting and having the kind of uh, beam duel, you know, it was kind of a one-off thing in Goblet of Fire, and for better or for worse, that became a big thing in the series. But I do, for once, the I'm pushing my wand harder at you uh, fight <laughs> made, finally makes a little more sense, as it really is a case of uh. Both of the wands are kind of belong to Harry here, so yes, exactly. This is not going to go the way Voldemort thought. I do love the Elder Wand flying into Harry's hand at the end. Yeah. It's like it, it, it yep. ultimately Voldemort was defeated by that wand. It's more how than the legends else. go. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. I think that this is a classic case of don't worry about the people that call you names, because had Voldemort not worried about the little boy calling him Tom. He could have walked away. It was Voldemort's choice to te- to choose violence. As a matter of fact, Harry uses Expelliarmus, like he always does. Harry uses Expelliarmus, yep. and Voldemort is an idiot and is done in by his own bullshit. So, you know, yep. sometimes you gotta let things go. Exactly. <laughs> Bounce back and kill him. Well, Voldemort, he always shows violence. I mean, listen, Tom Riddle, yeah. Tom Riddle could have been just a perfectly good, probably long-lived wizard just on his own. It showed that, that even Kid Tom chose violence because yeah. Kid Tom mm-hmm. would torture the kids that were in the orphanage with him. Yeah. Yep. He's a creepy little shit. Creepy little shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it did occur to me several times that 
Voldemort really was the cause of his own downfall here, yeah. not just figuratively, but also any point during this battle, he could have left. He could have just said, all right, Death Eaters, handle this. Yep. I'll just fuck off somewhere else. All he had to do was not put his ego on the line and not yeah. It's it's, it's multiple things. Like, he wanted to be the one to kill Harry Potter, of course. He didn't want to appear mm-hmm. weak in front of his followers. Like, there's different... But that is absolutely his undoing, is is his, his, mm-hmm. his, his own ego. He's so yeah. afraid of dying and of appearing weak that all of his power is incredibly fragile. Yeah. Exactly. It's those that want to hold on that are ultimately the weak ones. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. What about the fact that... um when Voldemort dies, he kind of d- turns into this, like, Thanos snap dust instead of just, like, falling dead. You know, I know that that's something that, that a lot of book fans kind of had yeah. issue with. It's it's not bad in the movie. I do genuinely kind of like the almost anticlimactic death that he had in the book, just because Voldemort had set himself up to be grand his entire life, to be this great, powerful, dark wizard. He's... He's a neo-Nazi, basically, following in the steps of Grindelwald, um, of wizard purity, and gave himself this dramatic name, Voldemort, and then at the very end, there's Harry, a fairly unassuming guy wearing normal clothes, who reminds him, calls him Tom, and then after the last fight, he's just dead on the floor. Daddy, dead, he's not dead. A, he's not a great monster, he's not a great... Dark Lord, he's just some dead asshole. A fool. Some and, dead asshole. <laughs> yep. And I kind of like that in the book, that it's not just literally him that's dying, so is his legend and his grandiosity. Yeah. It's just dead for all to see. Yeah, I agree with the point, but it also doesn't really bother me or take me out the movie all that much, you know? That's the thing. It doesn't ruin the movie. It's just, it was a detail I liked in the book, and it, it doesn't ruin the movie at all, though, yeah. to change that. For sure. What about the fact that Harry destroys the Elder Wand at the end? Uh, does he do this in the book? Like, I, I, I was thinking that he actually... He does. Oh, he does? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The The only difference is that in the book, he uses it uh, to repair his own wand. Um, as that was yeah. the only thing that could fix a wand was you know, something as strong as the Elder Wand. And then he snaps it. It doesn't really bother me that he doesn't fix his own wand here. Because he kind of accepted that, yeah, I just own Draco's wand now. Or I'll get another one later on. And I like just how how casual he is about explaining it um, to you know Ron and Hermione. It's like, yeah, I just kind of figured out that technically I own it. And I also just love the complete lack of pause or any... He doesn't need to give it a second thought when he, re- when he decides to destroy it. It's just like, I'm breaking it. I'm letting you guys know I'm breaking it, but I'm just tossing it and throwing it in the lake because... It's exactly what you said. He deserves a boring life. He doesn't need power. He doesn't want power. And people arguing over this thing has caused death and destruction for decades. And nobody needs it. Nobody needs that type of power. Nobody needs that much power. Exactly. Unlimited power! (laughs) It just goes, goes right into what actually makes Harry the master of death is... He uses the invisibility cloak to protect himself and his friends. He uses the resurrection stone to prepare himself for death, not to just callously pull people back from yes. it for his own needs. Yes. And when he has the ultimate destroying powder power of the Elder Wand, he realizes that 
He's just going to break it. He's just going to destroy that power because he doesn't need it. That's why he's the master. And he re- he recognizes that no one should have that power. And, and yeah. I, I think, yeah. yeah, I actually prefer the fact that he doesn't use it to repair his wand because, like, there's a couple... He just doesn't use it at all. There's it's, a couple of levels to it. Like, A, just using it once could become a temptation of, oh, that was like... Like, like with the Imperio curse. Exactly. Just like with the Imperio yep. curse. But B, like, I also think that... Letting go of that original wand kind of is is even like leaving his his connection with Voldemort behind too because yes. the reason that mm-hmm. wand chose him was because of the part of Voldemort that's inside him. That's the entire yeah. reason that wand yep. chose him. And it's like, sure, I could just have Draco's wand. Why not? You know, like in magic, <laughs> in magic, you change. The older you get, the more you change, and your magic changes. And it just makes sense that now he needed something that was different, something else that would choose him that was different. Something that chose him yes. because of him, not because of Voldemort, as Draco's wand did. Draco's wand chose him yeah. because of him. Even the color of auras change as people age. You know, they go from red to blue to green. And it just makes sense that he accepts the change in the magic around him and inside him. It's a beautiful metaphor. What about the epilogue? Uh, we kind of touched on this briefly, but uh, it's it's one of those things like I, I've seen people make the argument, like even coming from the book, that they felt that this was unnecessary, that maybe it was a little too just fan servicey and they live happily ever after type of thing. But to be honest, I, I feel like we kind of needed this. <laughs> I've always felt that, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um... Is a little fan servicey. Uh, I never liked Albus Savage's name. It's a terrible name for a child. I agree with Partially that. Partially because a big reason for that is not just because, oh, oh, funny, ridiculous name, but also Albus Dumbledore and Severus Snape were two of the meanest, most manipulative motherfuckers in Harry's life. And there are so many other dead people he knew who would have been better people to name the kids after Remus Lupin, Sirius Black. James Potter, if he wanted to. Fred Weasley. Fred actually would have been a fantastic name because that one sounds halfway normal. Yeah. People who would genuinely be someone who's worth missing. And I get that he has complicated feelings about Albus Dumbledore and Severus Snape. But frankly, yeah, if you really want to honor someone's memory, they don't deserve it near as much as some other people that he knew. Uh, I think I act like the epilogue didn't happen. I think it's the author forcing what she sees happening at the end on everybody else. I don't think it's needed. I think it's a push to say this is what happens no matter what you think. It's like the ending of How I Met Your Mother. The ending of How I Met Your Mother is fucking bullshit. <laughs> fucking I love, bullshit. I love the ending of him. Yeah. I know. I love I know. it. <laughs> yeah. This epilogue is fucking bullshit. Who cares? Let's move on. It's done. I love it. I tear up every time. I really do. The uh, the reason I like it is because it's it's starting the cycle again. It's bringing it back to the beginning and and bringing us back to that first movie and that first book and and like bringing the music back from that first movie. Like I I don't know. I just I think it's a beautiful way to end yeah. it. The ending of the Return of the King is fucking bullshit. A twenty minute hug between Samwise and Frodo. No, fuck that shit. No, bullshit. Don't even go. Cut there. it. Cut it. <laughs> cut it. Oh, you think it'll make people cry? Cut that bullshit. Cut it out. <laughs> okay, I'm like legitimately in tears all the way through the end of Return of the King. God, but I'm sure the King is like the best ending. It really oh is. Oh my <laughs> god! 
You, you get no agreement here yeah, no. in any way. Yeah. No, I, 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 I do not agree at all. But as far as this epilogue is concerned, I do agree it's not strictly necessary. The one thing I really like about it, the one thing that I do think is deserved, as we mentioned many times, that we wish Harry had a long and boring life, and that's what the epilogue is. It tells us that at least for a solid 11 years after the events of this film, Harry just had a normal, boring life. He grew into an adult with a receding hairline, and nothing exciting happened. He just got to live and be kind of happy and see his kids grow up as well. And that I like. The only thing this ending tells me is they got shitty makeup artists and shitty they costume did, yes. artists, okay. and they got someone from college to, to direct it. <laughs> I see people say that. I think the makeup's great. I've always it's thought horrible. that. I, Recast. I, I, I completely disagree. I completely disagree. I don't think it would have been as powerful of a scene if they had recast it. I, that, that's something that had yeah. occurred to me when I read this epilogue in the book, which is like, are they going to recast or are they going to try and age them up? And like, they just age them up. I think that is, I think it's good makeup. I've never seen what people are talking about with the bad makeup. I think it's really good makeup. I honestly do. I think a masterful author like Michael Crichton and a couple of other people don't give us an epilogue. Just make another book later. No. It wasn't needed. It wasn't needed. It, it depends on the story I that you're telling. I didn't need telling. to know. I, I think that there's different, mm-hmm. there's different needs. I didn't needs. need to know where they went. Yeah. I think that, again, it's 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 about starting the cycle again. It's, it's bringing it back to the beginning and saying that the cycle will continue with new kids. I think that that's as beautiful an ending as could have possibly been written. Then show me kids getting on a train, no names, going to Hogwarts. I don't need to see. I don't need to see the the characters. I, I just don't agree. I just don't agree with what you're saying. I I, 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 I hate hear, the epilogue. I hear what you're saying, but I I strongly disagree. I I really do. Yeah, I get it. I get it. People want to know what happened, but I think the imagination of the fans is a lot better than anything an 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 author or a scriptwriter can write. At the last minute, you don't know where these franchises are going to go. And then you have to retcon some of this shit. Just let it go. Let the let the the fans dream. Let them think. Don't tell them what to think. I feel like there's just not enough new information added in the epilogue to say that it's really ruining fan headcanon or it's forcing it down a certain that. route. You're given the names of some kids... Uh, you're given briefly the fact that Teddy Lupin is, you know, part of Harry's family now. You know that Draco as a kid. But you also know who everybody married. I Yeah, I but they were the people like that. that they were, like, already interested in and had serious relationships with throughout the rest of the film. And you don't know whether or not Ginny and Harry's marriage is really on the rocks and that they may break up, like, a year later. You don't know whether or not that's the case. I just... You don't... I don't like it. Ron and Hermione... You don't know how that goes. Uh, I'm not even certain we ever saw the person who Draco marries before. That might be like an entirely new person. Yeah, it's just an entirely new be, person. I think in. you see his wife. She's, she's just some other woman. Yeah. She's just she's just some other lady. My point being that there's really just not enough new info in the ending to ruin anyone's headcanons of what happens eventually. Because also, the amazing thing about the future is it keeps going. Life still goes on. Them 
11 years later is not them 22 years later. Uh, it's not them. It's, it's, it's actually 19 years later. That's, it says that yeah, in the text. It's, <laughs> you're right. right you're it's crap. It's crap. <laughs> it's it's like that ending. It's like that. Which one is it? Where they end it? Where they're all waving at the screen. Bye, bye, bye. Goblet of fire. Bye, 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 bye now. Bye, 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 bye. They're all waving at the very end. Which which movie is that? It's Goblet of Fire, isn't it? I think the Sorcerer's Stone. Actually, the Sorcerer's yeah. Stone. Everyone's like waving at Hagrid. Oh yeah, my leaving God. The well, that that's why I like it because it because it brings it back to uh, it brings it back to Sorcerer's Stone. That's again that's why yeah. I like this ending. Honestly, it, it really is. But. I remember I remember the ending of Sorcerer's Stone very fondly because I, I know that in the Deathly Weapons version, uh, they have Hogwarts flying the American flag and uh, everyone yeah, just shooting, shooting guns uh, into the air, shooting <laughs> <laughs> guns into the air yeah. as they drive off. It's like, all oh, right, this is the American version yes. of Hogwarts. That makes more sense. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's horrible. I will say, Liz, I actually do understand where you're coming from. I just don't agree. I just don't agree at all. It's okay for us not to agree. I'm glad yeah. we don't agree. Yeah. No, because I it's, too. it's a more yeah. interesting conversation. And and I know, I actually know you're not the only person who feels that way. I have actually seen criticisms of the epilogue. I honestly have. Yeah. For me personally, I think that it was important for me to know that th- that they're okay. I, that's the, that's the mm. first part of it. And I think that there's just something really beautiful about starting the cycle over of Harry's kids now going and Ron and Hermione's kids now going to Hogwarts too. the same way that they did. I like the fact that they cast a kid who kind of looks like a young Daniel Radcliffe. Like it just, yeah, I do agree with you, Zach, that Albus Severus is a bullshit name, but that's, that's actually my only criticism of the epilogue. I think everything right. else in the epilogue, I think is great. I obviously do really enjoy that's it. Fair. And, and, and I always just, I don't know, I always tear up at the end, personally. Me too, because it's so excruciating. <laughs> do you do you turn do you turn the movie off like when, when you see it the 19 years later you just you just turn the movie I off do. not to see here right. <laughs> that was a good movie you know <laughs> this is a really this is a really weird criticism of the epilogue but uh i do actually have one other which is that the font they picked for that is like times new roman or some shit for the 19 years later and it always throws me out how like placeholder that font is it's like all right so we're gonna have this faded black Say 19 years later, and then go to the scene and like, I don't know, pick a more interesting one. God damn, that's uh, it's it's <laughs> it's basic movie credits font. I was actually fine with it. And <laughs> 19 years later, I'm also. <laughs> I guess my thing is that unless it's super necessary that you know exactly how long it is. Just fade to them in the future. We get it. They look. I actually agree with that. They just Skip they just the did that because thing. the nineteen years later was in the book. They just carried it over. But I but I yeah, actually agree. I actually I agree honestly, with you yeah. that. Yeah. Really, my only two genuine criticisms for the epilogue are Elvis Severus is a bullshit name, and they should have just cut straight to the train station. No, nineteen years later, just move on with it. And my only criticism is it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Your no, only criticism. Your only criticism is the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I'm horrible. One, I'm I sorry. Have only one complaint. It sucks. <laughs> well, let's go into our overall thoughts on the movie, and I'll let Zach start this week. Why not? <laughs> All right. So this movie is honestly really well made. Uh, has a lot of big fan favorite moments, which are really well learned throughout the series, and it has fantastic performances 
from a lot of the actors, especially Daniel Radcliffe, Alan Rickman, Neville Longbottom's actor. Fuck, I Matthew Lewis. I feel so terrible now. Matthew Lewis. All do really an amazing job. Helena Bonham Carter early on. Um, I love that we spend a little more time with Warwick Davis. This is a really satisfying movie that just runs at breakneck pace from the very start. Uh, with that said, uh, seriously, the Goblin thing really bothers me. Maybe more than it should, but I, I really do genuinely hate that. Yeah, I, I genuinely hate that very much. It kind of undermines a lot yeah. of supposedly the issue with Voldemort. It's like, all right, so all the other uh, magical races are genuinely worse than wizards. But this guy's kind of a Nazi, even though we're subscribing to some of the same thoughts. Anyways, he's just that he looks like a Nazi. That's, that's the reason. Anyhow. Yeah, so that, that's a genuine problem for me. But honestly, it is a really satisfying movie that ties up the series. So for me, it is a 9 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I enjoy this movie. It is honestly my favorite, even though I don't give it the top ranking. I give it my top ranking uh, as my favorite, but I it, it's not a 10 out of 10 for me, just because of the ending. The ending is the only thing that I think is bullshit, but it doesn't throw me off. I just turn the movie off whenever we get past, uh, you know, a certain point. If I see 19 years uh, later pop up, I just, oh, the movie's over. Click. <laughs> but I still think it's masterfully done. The execution is amazing. And I can watch this movie over and over and over and over again. It's really, really well done. And it's a fun time. It's a fun time. So I give the movie a 9 out of 10. So this is one of my favorites of the entire franchise. Uh, we're going to do rankings in a second, so I'll kind of tell you in a second where I actually rank it. But I, I do rank it very high. I think that it's it's a really phenomenal ending. Like it's it's hard to come up with a satisfactory ending to like a multi-film franchise, and they completely it did is. it. They completely. I I think that this is a textbook yeah. way to end a franchise where it has weight, it has the stakes, and it feels satisfying. It's emotional. It's exciting. It's action packed. And and it has that it has that happy ending at the end. Like not everybody made it out. There there were some absolute gut wrenching deaths along the way, but it has that happy ending. And I personally love the epilogue. I know that the, I understand the criticisms, but I personally do love the epilogue. I think that it it, it does feel like that that happy ending that I feel like I kind of wanted. Would it have ruined the movie or the book had the epilogue not existed? No, it honestly wouldn't have. It still would have been a good ending either way. But to me, the the epilogue is the cherry on top. This is a really interesting, well-written, well-made, action-packed movie. I guess, like, if I were to, to, to name, like, a nitpick with the movie, like, I forgot to mention this, but it does kind of bug me that when, when one Slytherin girl kind of says something that McGonagall just decides to throw all of Slytherin House in the dungeon, <laughs> which, yeah. that, that to me actually <laughs> does kind of undermine that thing at the end of, like, oh, don't worry, Albuceris, Slytherin House isn't so bad, but I feel like the entire movie franchise has been telling me up to this point that Slytherin does suck, which <laughs> yeah. I wish that it hadn't been telling me that because I like the idea that things are more complex than that, but at the same time, like, this, it's a small, tiny little nitpick. This is such a good, fun movie and i absolutely give it a 10 out of 10 but having said all of that zach where can the folks find you folks can find me on facebook as zachariah schneider they can find me on the twitters as zachariah schneff 4 zachariah s-c-h-n-e-4 and they can actually find me on instagram under the exact same name liz where can the folks find you 
You can find me under Liz Tory, L-Y-Z-T-O-R-Y, because, you know, I'm not a basic bitch. I'm a little extra. Um, <laughs> you can find me on YouTube under Liz Tory. That's my personal channel. You'll see my stand-up adventures and just me uh, giving thoughts. Thoughts? Thoughts? <laughs> and you can also follow my studio, Meadow Wolf Studios, on YouTube, M-E-A-D-O-W, Wolf Studios. Uh, we have a couple of exciting announcements that's going to be coming in the next couple of months. I'm Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SCWilson underscore actor. You can follow my band Gas Station Boner Pills at the Band of Boners on Instagram. You can follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All social medias we are on, so give us a follow and make sure that you're subscribed to us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We're on all platforms, so go ahead and give us a subscription, leave us a star rating, leave us a review, send us a DM on any of our social media accounts and uh, let us know what you think about what we're doing here. We do take feedback to heart. Up next, we're going to review the latest Disney Plus Marvel series, Miss Marvel. We're going to go ahead and review that next week, so... uh, Make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss that episode. And we are so going to have excited. some more. I'm very excited. Yeah, we are going to be uh, reviewing the, uh, the the Fantastic Beasts movies at some point. So for you Wizarding World fans, stay tuned because we're not we're not done with that universe just yet. For Liz Tori and Zach Schneider, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Mischief managed. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit.